My Dog Shits Cash, Part 8. In the end, the dog always. Nathan had taken a dog for a walk many times, but never once into the dog's own bowels. They travelled through the spiralling, fairy-lit small intestine until they came upon a puckered gate. The gate dilated as Nathan climbed through. He then wiped the caustic mucus from his face when he reached the other side. Winnie wriggled through after him. Wow, Nathan said, seeing that he was standing on a wooden dock. It was small, man-made, almost like a fishing post. It appeared to be rotting, patched with layers of green gut bacteria and small polka-dotted mushrooms. How did this get in here? Nathan wondered. Wow, he said a second time as he looked upon a vast lake of cash. Gentle waves of money broke against the flesh walls. The walls themselves were various shades of brown, marked by strings of sore red and patched with the same gut bacteria on the dock. A green-hued fog hung in the air, obscuring how vast the lake truly was, or how high the ceiling. Through it were the smudged blurs of fairy lights, like distant suns blinking in and out of existence. A wave of cash splashed over Nathan's feet. He picked some up, put it in his pocket. There's so much of it. Yes, this is where it gets deposited, before we make withdrawals from the outside. Nathan squinted tried to see the other side of the lake. Is my mum over there? Yes. Are we going to swim? It's too far. We'll drown. Plus the fish. Fish? Of course. Hmm. So, how are we going to get across? Well, first this. Winnie howled, barked, then howled again. It echoed along the membranous walls and back. And now we wait, she said. But I don't understand. Wait. If we want to be rock stars... We have to be quiet, and we have to wait. Nathan felt like he'd been told off for chewing the carpet. That doesn't sound very rockstar, but okay. Listen. Nathan cocked his ear to the fog, heard a single dog barking in the distance, and then a gentle creaking. A few minutes later, a small boat appeared in the mist, tenderly bobbing along the undulating waves, leaving ripples of cash in its wake. When the boat got closer, Nathan saw the hooded figure riding in it. could just make out the pale white eyes and the piebald nose. The boat docked to the side of them. The blinking fairy lights reflected in the hooded dog's milky blind eyes. Under the raggedy blankets was an ill-looking whippet. Slowly, it sniffed the air. Come on, Winnie said. Winnie climbed into the boat, brushing against the side of the whippet as she did. It didn't seem to notice, didn't even move. Nathan climbed in, the boat rocked. He slipped, fell to the side, his arm dipping into the cash water. There he saw one of the fish that Winnie mentioned. It wasn't a fish, but a ringed worm, about the size of Nathan's forearm. It snaked through the cash, disappeared into it. Oh no. What is it? Sorry, Win, I forgot to give you that deworming tablet. It's okay. We'll get you a proper checkup when we get out, okay? She whined, said, Do you have any food? Nathan shrugged, checked his coat pockets, found some leftover cheese cubes. They were dry, but nothing a dog would complain about. 
He threw one to Winnie who snapped it from the air, then nodded to the whippet. Nathan took another cube and held it in front of the whippet's nose. The stink of old cheese stirred it, its tail wagged, its dried slug of a tongue crept out, dabbed at it. Slowly, it placed its toothless maw around Nathan's fingers and took the cheese, leaving strings of frothy saliva on his fingertips. Is that like a, a penny for the ferryman? What? Winnie said, before barking again, howling, and then barking two more times. The boat moved, and it was then that Nathan saw the rope tied to the back of the boat, pulling it back along the lake. If the boat is just going to be pulled along by a rope, what's this dog doing here? Is he not the captain of the boat? Oh, Kevin. No, no, I think he's just lost. The whippet turned and slowly moved towards Nathan's coat pocket, led by his sniffing nose. His ashen tongue licked the pocket. Nathan patted him on the head, gave him another cube of the dried cheese. Winnie wagged her tail, Nathan threw her another chunk. His stomach groaned, so he ate one himself. It was chewy, a little powdery, but it tasted okay. The rope continued to pull. Nathan, Winnie and their new friend ate more cheese as the boat carried them deeper into the lake, into the odious fog. When the gloom cleared, it revealed another dock. This one was much larger than the other. A handful of dogs lounged there, some snoozing, others fishing from the cache lake, sticks in their mouths with wires tied to the ends. Further on from the dock was more of the peat-coloured fleshy ground, and then what appeared to be a small coastal village. There were several man-made structures, no, dog-made structures. They were simple, made of wood and cash, and tied together with what Nathan now saw were worms all dried out and twined. Even the rope pulling the boat to the shore was made from Winnie's intestinal worms. One of the fishing dogs yanked on a rope and out came a wiggling worm hooked at the other end. It was about the size of a cucumber. As it hit the deck, it squirmed, tried to escape back to the cash water, but another dog picked it up with its mouth and threw it upwards. The worm spasmed as the dog caught it once again and thrashed it. The first dog grabbed the other end and together they tugged it to bits taking pieces for themselves and dropping them into buckets. Their tails stopped wagging when they saw Nathan on the boat. Their excited eyes narrowed. They picked up their rods and worm buckets and skittered away. They're not used to seeing strangers, Winnie said. Who did he belong to? It's hard to say. It used to be your mother. When their boat docked, they climbed out. Even Kevin, who continued to blindly follow Nathan's cheesy pockets. Some dogs remained, fishing, walking, or simply peeking out through open windows and holes in walls. All of them eyed Nathan suspiciously. One pup bounded out of an open doorway, sprang towards Nathan's foot. Oh, what a cutie, Nathan said as it yapped. He dropped to his knee, reached towards it, but its mother came and picked it up by the scruff of its neck and carried it back inside. The door slammed shut. More dogs scattered into their homes, the bricks of which appeared to be made from mashed-up cash. More doors shut, a tail disappeared into a gap, the single street emptied. They're not usually this scared. Something spooked them. In the distance, a dog barked. Unseen birds scattered. Something squawked. They walked deeper, past a pub called the Dog and Worm, 
a post office and some kind of pharmacist. There was an empty one-road street, then signposts written in painted paw prints and the trails of fairy lights. They walked until Nathan's calves buzzed and the balls of his feet cramped. Kevin tripped and didn't get back up, so Nathan scooped him up. He didn't want him to get lost again. After a while, Kevin seemed to forget he was being carried there. He moved like a dreaming dog, running his feet against the open air, occasionally whining and barking. They walked through to another town area, much bigger than the previous one. This one had streets as large as the ones Nathan knew outside. The deeper they travelled, the larger they grew. There were multi-storey buildings, even cars and buses and dogs in suits, all made from cash, similar to the one that the haberdasher made for Nathan. There were cash flowers too, gardens of them bordering the streets. Everything here was made of cash to some degree. Cash and dirt and worms and flesh and partly digested food and stomach fungi. And between the skyscrapers stood mushrooms. Perhaps normal sized mushrooms when viewed from the world outside, but in here there were leaning colossal god shapes with what looked like birds nesting amongst the caps. The size of the ones furthest away was so big they made Nathan's heart hurt and his knees shake. They wandered into a never-ending business district, where business dogs pelted nervously from one multi-story building to another. Some had cash hats and cash umbrellas, clutching them tightly as they raced to their meetings. The few that saw Nathan didn't seem as scared as the dogs that lived by the lake, but they still crossed the street when they saw him. They passed a group of delinquent terriers loitering in an alleyway, a boxer jogging around a park, and a homeless chow-chow busking a bluesy number. Nathan tipped him with cheese. The chow-chow didn't open its eyes, just continued to howl painful blue notes. And then they found a husky flyering for a gig. Nathan couldn't read the flyer, it was just a stick with some bite marks. They walked up a vast set of mudstone steps and onto a huge bridge that towered over the town. The view took Nathan's breath away, where it might have been the hours of walking. All the hot gut stink. Either way, he put Kevin down and looked upon the civilization of dogs that were living inside Winnie's body. In the skies, the green-hued fog formed clouds around the tops of the taller buildings and the taller mushrooms. They haloed around the clock tower. To its side was the largest building in the town a sprawling factory with silos and chimneys pumping out smoke and fog, and on its side there was a photograph that Nathan recognised. That's me, he said. It was a school photo, taken from when Nathan was around 12 or 13, a portrait of him in his school uniform, hair slicked down with gel and that familiar wavy quiff that everybody had when he was at school. Inside Winnie, the photo was massive, towered against the side of the factory, but outside, when that photo had sat inside his mother's purse, it was the size of a stamp. What is this place, Wynne? My insides? Yeah. They call the county Alabastershire, in honour of your mother. I just call it my stomach. It's very beautiful. Come on, Winnie said, nudging Nathan along. We have to move. The three of them ate the last of the cheese as they made their way to the train station and boarded the first train that pulled in. Winnie climbed in through the window, kept her infinitely stretching torso free of the closing doors. A dog sniffing a newspaper looked at them before getting off at the next station. 
A mother with three puppies moved to the far end of the train carriage. Over the PA system, the conductor grumbled and barked. Nathan watched the world pass by, took in as much of the city as he could. All this has been inside you. All of this time. It's cool, right? Yeah, kind of is. Nathan stroked her ear. But why is it here? Because of your mother. She gave birth to all of this. She was the founder. When? When you were a puppy? Not sure. The train took them through the factory, past the clock tower, over farmland. Took them on a spaghetti route through another village and through a forest of gut mushrooms, eventually arriving at its final destination. The conductor barked over the PA system and the doors opened. They stepped out. There was only one thing here. A single house on the horizon. A facsimile of the one outside Winnie's stomach. The one that he and Winnie and all of this were sitting inside at that very moment. His mum and dad's house. It was the same but the bricks were made of dried shit, cemented together with worm guts. And the windows were absent. It wasn't as proficiently made as anything in the city, but whoever had made it had tried to recreate the garden, the fence, and even the grass, and especially the smell. As there was in Nathan's childhood, there was a vast army of dogs here too. But here they were buried in the peaty floor, with rocks marking their graves. Buddy, the sweet brown mixture of things. Jess, the husky with no tail. Samuel, the pug with the prolapsed eyes. Duke, the great Dane who now lived as a spirit outside his rotting body. More and more gravestones, more and more names, more and more pieces of Nathan's childhood, dead and gone. Nathan stopped by each of them, wondered how long ago they'd perished. Are you okay? I think so. These were the first settlers here. They moved in not long after you left. Why? Why else? Your mother was so sad about you going. I didn't even know she was aware I'd gone. Kevin barked. The front door of the house slammed shut. Something inside shuffled. The intruders, Winnie said, grumbling. Nathan steeled himself before heading to the house opening the door and stepping inside. There were more imitations, most of them poor. There were lamps without bulbs, a fireplace without a chimney, a TV that was just an empty box, a sofa without cushions, walls and no wallpaper, cupboards and no doors. Upstairs. We go upstairs. Nathan silently nodded. The stairs creaked with each step. Nathan tried his bedroom door first, but it wasn't a real door. Just an outline of one. Out of bounds, he thought. Even here. They entered the master bedroom. It was dark. In the gloom, they saw an enormous German shepherd lying on the bed. Nathan believed it to be dead until its stomach rose and fell and its closed eyes fluttered. Shepherd? The dog didn't stir. Its tongue hung out of its mouth. It was as old and crippled as Kevin, its fur patched with grey, Skin covered in warts and growths, its muscles sucked dry from the inside, the skin hanging loosely over the bones like flannels hung on drying racks. Nathan crouched by his side. His head was bigger than a cooked turkey. Hot, stale breath touched his palm. Shepherd, he said, 
nudging the dog's shoulder until he noticed a hypodermic needle sticking out of his neck. Sometimes, in the grooming business, we have to sedate the grumpier dogs. Nathan trailed the voice to a face poking out from the shadows in the corner. You are at a sunder, the face said, stepping out. He was incredibly short, wearing cream-coloured overalls splashed with specks of blood. In the gloom he was part goblin, his teeth too small, eyes too wide. He vibrated with anger, bubbled with it like a littered pot of boiling water. Winnie backed away behind Nathan's legs, now growling, baring her teeth. Who are you, and why are you in my house? In my dog? In my house? You're the son, the man repeated, licking his lips. What? Yeah, and? I mean, fucking idiot. I mean, you're the son, the mum, the son of the mum, the son of the alabaster mum, the one who... Saliva dripped from his chin. The son of the mum... They promised us so many fucking dogs, uh, so much work here. So? Kevin blindly wandered around the bed to the man and sniffed his groin through the overalls. Get the fuck off, uh, he said, pushing Kevin away. He continued. We fucking believed her. We bought a van and these overalls. We got a brand consultant. You know how much a fucking brand consultant costs, yes? You think we're made of money? The brother Chihuahua came from nothing to something and then to something in debt, uh, yes? Uh, you understand my mouth? The words in my mouth, yes? Just get another job. You think I can't get another job? The man stepped forward. I get job offers all the time. I'm fighting them off, friend. Nothing pays as good as premium dog groomer. And the pride, the pride you feel when you've tamed the unruly fluff of a premium doggy. No, nothing pays as good if you can get the work, I mean. But when the work comes in, nothing pays better. Until then, nothing pays. Get a side hustle or something? We're still paying off the interest, uh. The man did jazz hands when he said interest. Kevin sniffed the man's groin again. You can't promise a life-changing job and then fucking disappear like that. Your mother screwed us. Nathan's hands clenched. Leave her alone, man. She was trapped in a metaphorical jacket. Plus, did you get some kind of contract or something? Like, like some kind of guarantee of work? The man punched the wall. It cracked. The entire house shook. It was a gentleman's agreement. Besides, Nathan continued, never put all your eggs in a single basket. I made the same mistake. It wasn't a basket, it was a briefcase, but still, that's like lesson one of the introductory course of Terry Rowling's Motivation Nation. Didn't you diversify your income streams? The man shook his head before shoving Kevin hard with his boot. The dog yelped as he fell to his side. Nathan helped him back up, placed him behind him. And if you need money, didn't you see the lake full of cash outside? Just take what you need. I don't care. It's not about that anymore. It's about pride. We're not thieves. We're dog groomers. We're highly qualified. We have PhDs in grooming technology. We've got degrees in the science of dog follicles. This is what we were born to do. Where is the other one? Winnie said. Winnie says, where's the other one? My brother, Ernesto. The man sniffed. He's with your mum. Winnie? She nodded towards Shepherd's butt. Your mother is in Shepherd's anus. She has been for a long time. As long as I can remember. 
Nathan thought back to when she first disappeared, how she surrounded herself with dogs, disappeared into them. After all these years, he finally understood. She'd been there the whole time, always so close to him, always just out of view. I'm going in, Nathan said to the little man. He shrugged. Fine, makes no difference to me. Nathan went to the anus, this one much older, much greyer. He lifted the tail, looked at the short man again. He took a deep breath before leaning towards it. Wait, the little man said. Here, take this. He took a business card from his overalls pocket and, smiling greasily, he handed it to Nathan. Do be sure to get in touch with any none of your grooming needs. As Nathan read it, admired the high-quality embossed print, a dog barked. Within a second, the little man pulled on the roll of baggies fixed to his belt and wrapped it around Nathan's neck. Nathan's windpipe shut. The man would have garroted him if the baggies didn't snap apart, allowing Nathan to catch a shot of air. But the man's hands quickly wrapped around him instead. He was short but incredibly strong. Somehow, he lifted Nathan off of his feet. What's that? Nathan said against his will. Nathan squirmed as the little man carried him to the open bedroom window. He held Nathan up like Simba on Pride Rock, but instead of parading him in front of the animal kingdom, he threw him out the window. Nathan landed like a bag of cement. He heard something in his nose snap. His right ankle twisted the wrong way. Stuck to the floor like a discarded condom, he tried to unstick himself. Blood spilled from his face. Stars sparked. More jazz notes. More dog hairs. Pain squeezed his ankle. He wanted to vomit. A lifty, he thought, and I've always known it. Back in the house, a dog yelped. Winnie! One more reason. Nathan looked up to the window. Winnie was the main reason. Always. The reason he would not drive out to the woods alone again. The reason he would not require the tools anymore. The reason he'd never drink an old-fashioned cocktail ever again. From the bedroom window, something squealed. No! Nathan screamed through bloodied spit. He used the makeshift fence to right himself, picked up the rock with the word Duke written on it in chalk paint, and limped back inside, followed Winnie's torso like it was the yellow brick road. Inside the bedroom, Kevin was under the faux dresser, peeing himself scared, and the little man had his bare arms around Winnie and his teeth sinking into her ear. Her eyes were wider than they'd ever been and grew wider as blood bubbled out over the man's chin. And they widened even still as the little man pulled and bit down even more. The flap of ear was reluctant, but eventually it gave. Winnie made a noise that Nathan had never heard before and would never forget. The man swallowed a chunk of his dog and Nathan felt bubbles again, rising in his chest and ready to pop. He said nothing as he walked over and popped those bubbles in one as he swung Duke's gravestone into the man's head. It was the second time he'd heard a bone snap that day. The little man seemed confused at first as he released Winnie, thumbed the new dent in his forehead. Bish bosh, he asked Nathan. Do you... Bish bash bosh? Sure, Nathan said as he hit him again, this time over the ear. He dropped the rock, then picked up the little man and threw him out of the window. There was a smacking sound and then a pained moan. Winnie, now bleeding and missing most of her right ear, violently shuddered. If she did, so did the world around them. Earthquakes rocked through the floors, shaking the ground, knocking over furniture. Cracks ran along the walls, along the ceiling. 
The tectonic plates of Winnie's gut shifted beneath them. Stomach acids geysered, burning the grounds they touched. In the distance they heard gut mushrooms falling and the many yelps and whines of a city's worth of scared dogs. Hurts, was all that Winnie could say, whimpering. Hurts, hurts. It's going to be okay, Win. It's going to be okay. Nathan held her, put his head to hers. Go, get mum. Hurts. I can't leave you again. Go. The other one is in there. I'm scared for her. I'm scared for you. Nathan kissed Winnie on the temple, helped her lie down on the bed by Shepard's side. He picked up Kevin, who was still shaking himself, and placed him by Winnie's side. Look after her, Nathan said, doing his best to break through Kevin's senile cocoon. His blind eyes blinked. Nathan took that as a yes, and then went to Shepard. You're so rockstar, Winnie said, her psychic voice trembling. Nathan nodded, lifted Shepard's tail. Shepard's insides were grey and broken, the flesh leathery on the surface but coming loose underfoot the old skin peeling in Nathan's hands as he climbed the anal cavity walls. There were no fairy lights in here, and so Nathan used the torch on his phone. It was like looking through the throat of a giant subterranean worm. He forced his way through as the gas of dying organs buffeted against him. The atmosphere warbled, the air almost unbreathable. It was like he was walking through the heart of some distant and strange planet. In Winnie, Nathan felt the flow of life and blood all around him, a constant humming rush of distant rivers and machinery. But that same flow wasn't present in Shepard. His systems had slowed to a standstill. The walls were cavernous and cold, wrinkling and shriveling. He climbed through build-ups of necrotic sludge and crawled through a stubborn puckered gate that didn't want to let him through. He forced his way in but it closed around him, continued to contract, held him and squeezed. Desperately, he gripped folds of flesh and pulled himself through. His nose screamed, his ankle throbbed. He needed air, he needed to get through, to breathe. The cold dark squeezed him, crushed, and just before it seemed he might be about to pass out, he fell through the other side, into what he assumed was some kind of organ, the spleen or the pancreas. He gasped, clutched his chest, checked his surroundings. Nathan wasn't a doctor, but whichever organ it was, he was certain that this was the coziest organ. There was a fireplace, lit and warming. On the floor there was an old-style TV playing the same game show his dad was watching. Stood next to a boiling kettle was his mother. Mum? She turned around, squinted at him. Nathan? She looked different, looked more like his grandmother than ever before. But still his mum, still the woman who made the best jam sandwiches. Ruddy-cheeked and sharp-eyed, like a woman who'd cheat at Scrabble and you wouldn't mind. He went to her and they hugged. They buried their heads into each other's shoulders and she said something but it was muffled. And Nathan said, what? And she said, how have you been? And the chest bubbles came again but melted inside. Fizzled away, left only the truth. And he told her that his girlfriend broke up with him. And then she died. And he cried like he was 14 years old, like he was a kid. Oh, Nate, she said, patting him on the back. It's all right. It's all right. 
You will be all right. I've missed you so much, he said. I've just missed you so much. She lifted his chin, wiped his tears, told him she never went away. Did you get the money I sent you? What? I always made it a priority to make sure you were looked after, Nate. The dogs made a whole thing about it, producing money simply to give to you. It became a sort of purpose for them, I guess. A defining tenet, a God-given task. I think they even started a bit of an operation in the town. Nathan thought about the colossal factory and the booming shitty centre of Alabastashire. I got the money, he said, eyes aching. Thanks. Here. Nathan's mum handed him a cup of tea. Girls will come and go, but your mother will always be around. I think dad misses you. I bet. I miss your father a lot too. Nathan sipped the tea. It had sugar in it. You've got a little beard, she said. I'm all grown up. You really are. They looked at one another for a moment, would have continued to do so, but somebody coughed. Nathan turned to see the other Chihuahua brother on the sofa, also drinking tea. I'm beginning to feel like I'm intruding, said the man, smiling. Don't you dare hurt my mum, the man scoffed, offended. I would never. Nathan, this is Ernie. Ernesto, he said. I promised Ernie some work a few years ago and kind of lost track of it all. We've come to an arrangement, haven't we, Ernie? The man nodded. That we have. The walls shook again. It's all I ever wanted, Ernesto said, before slurping the last of his tea, pinky finger raised. (sniffs) Oh, my dear shepherd, Nathan's mother said, patting the floor. Who's a good boy? I think we have to go, Nathan said. But he's been such a good boy, he said. My best doggy. We all have one. We have to go, Nathan said again, as the far end of the organ collapsed. They placed their mugs on the side. As the organ walls shuddered, as arteries and veins collapsed like falling trees, dying organs erupted, blood cells avalanched. Nathan's mother washed the mugs. She dried them with a dishcloth, then placed them on a mug tree, lined them up neatly, and then, eventually, she said, Okay. She took one last look before they climbed through the gate and slipped all the way out. The shepherd expelled his death rattle. The mother, the son and the dog groomer slipped from the butt and tumbled to the faux bedroom floor. There Winnie and Kevin were waiting. You're back, Winnie said, ear still bleeding, her still shaking. Nathan picked her up, hugged her tightly, buried his face into her neck. Slowly her trembles eased and then so did the earthquakes. As they walked down the stairs, the cracks in the walls grew chunks falling away in chocolate-coloured flakes. Plumes of shitty dust exploded before them. It's all going to be okay, Nathan whispered as he stepped out the front door and the faux house collapsed behind them. It's going to be okay. Her panting calmed and the ground became steady. Outside, the littlest chihuahua brother waited, two fresh dents in his head, wearing a mask of blood, shaking with anger, little white teeth grinding, growling and rabid. He went to his utility belt again, this time pulled out two pairs of small grooming scissors. He threateningly snipped the air. Fucking hell, you foxer, he screamed, voice like a blowtorch. Language, Ernesto said. Fuck you, you pussy little fucker. 
The little man ran towards Nathan's mum. He lifted the scissors. She screamed. Kevin stepped in the way, likely looking for another sniff of the little man's groin. Paolo yelped like a puppy as he tripped and his face met the floor. Determined, he belly crawled towards them. I'm going to kill you and eat your fucking dogs here. Scared, Nathan's mother grabbed both Nathan and Ernesto's arms. The snipping scissors nipped the air like gnashing terriers. They went for her throat. Boop, said a voice. It was the leader of the stray businessman, Glenn Maybe. He was standing behind Nathan, had a piece of card folded and stuffed into his ear like a fake Bluetooth headset. Just a quick message to say, our support team is working on your ticket as we speak, and we should have a resolution for you shortly. What? Nathan managed before a small army of stray businessmen ran over from the train station and scooped up the little man, tore the scissors from his hands, pushed him to the ground and sat on him. He wheezed and scrambled beneath them but couldn't move. All the strays pointed at Winnie. The leader booped Nathan's nose. We've found your dog, he said. She is in fact right there. Thanks very much for choosing people, IT, as your service provider, and do call us back if you have any more issues. Nathan didn't know what to say. The stray smiled. Boop, he said. You'll look after yourself, Nathan's mother said. She stood at the window of her office at the top of the factory tower, looking out at Alabastashire, at the city. She'd said it had grown a lot since she had last visited, but she was still the alpha and the dogs knew it. In fact, the dogs had welcomed her back with a parade of wagging tails and zoomies. That's when a dog gets so excited it runs around all crazy-like. The thousands of shitty dwellers had zoomies for nearly the entire day and were now happily napping their legs and eyes jittering with dreamy spasms. The cash factory, which hadn't taken a day off for several years, had completely shut down production. The city had closed, even the county. It seemed that Nathan's mother was kind of a big deal. I'll visit lots, I promise. Nathan stood with Winnie by his side, her head bandaged by the city doctor. Yeah, you better do. Nathan leaned under his mother's desk and gave Kevin a quick buss. With his slug tongue, he licked Nathan's hand. Who's a good boy? Nathan said. Who's a good boy? I am, Kevin replied, not talking to Nathan with his mind like Winnie, but speaking out loud and remarkably human and oddly deep. I didn't know he could do that, Nathan said. All dogs are special in their own way, his mum replied. You of all people should know that. Nathan and his mother kissed and hugged and said their goodbyes and for a moment Nathan wasn't sure if it was the last time he'd ever see her so he gave her an extra kiss and an extra hug just in case. As he and Winnie made their way back through Winnie's bowel system they saw more dogs, most of them sleeping post-parade. Some of the stray businessmen still lingered, wandered Alabastashire listlessly finding small avenues and street corners to settle into and lay down. Nathan noticed one of the local dogs bring out some fried worm and drop it on the stray's lap. Crisps, said the stray businessman. The dog patted him on the head and went back inside. Winnie and Nathan spoke little on the way home. They were too tired, so they simply walked and it wasn't like they could get lost either. They only had to follow Winnie's torso. 
The bobbing movements of the boat on the cash lake rocked Nathan to exhaustion. He could barely keep his eyes open, and by the time they slipped out of Winnie's butt and she untangled herself, they climbed back onto Nathan's bed and fell into a deep void sleep in which Nathan played fetch with Duke with a stick that didn't exist. Nathan moved out of the flat and back into his mum and dad's house. It was weird at first, and it took a while to make it less spooky. He started with the unanswered letters, not answering them but scooping them into a bin. He got the gas and electricity turned on. Using Soib's cleaning supplies, he swept, mopped, wiped. He mowed the lawn, washed his parents' car in the driveway, and cleaned up the dog toys and the bones. In the mornings, he took newspapers out to his dad, who still lived in the doghouse at the bottom of the garden. He and Winnie would go for long walks in nearby woods, wander to the Peafield Estates Cafe, and drink coffee, and talk more about the podcast they would make if they had a cool telepathic microphone. Sometimes Nathan invited his dad to come inside, and together they'd watch films, chat about DIY stuff that Nathan didn't understand. Sometimes he'd even take his father into Winnie's butt to see his mother. His dad wasn't keen on the idea at first, kept saying that he didn't think Judy wanted to see him, but Nathan didn't take no for an answer. He simply snuck up on him with Winnie's butt pointed at his head. The first meeting was a little strange. It was something of a date. He let his mum and dad go to one of the local restaurants in the financial district whilst he and Winnie had coffee and worm sandwiches at a nearby cafe. The worm was surprisingly tasty, like crab, but chewier and stringier. It had the texture of a painting on a canvas. It's giving me, um, Francis Bacon vibes, Nathan said, before swallowing. By that point, most of the stray businessmen had been taken in by dogs with big hearts and a space for another in their homes. Sometimes Nathan brought extra bags of crisps with him, in case he saw a stray not yet taken in. But that was becoming increasingly rare. It wasn't long before Nathan's father moved into Winnie full-time. His mother and father used to speak about retiring in a more rural area, so they had a house made by the Cash Lake. For once it wasn't a lesser version of the house outside, and it wasn't a house crammed into a tiny space, but a beautiful cottage purpose-built for the two of them. Ernesto Chihuahua had a booming dog grooming business, where scruffy dogs poured in and out with new and bizarre haircuts. It was the job that he wasn't just promised, but born to do. When Nathan saw him last, he'd explained that he'd have to franchise soon. If you ever need a job, eh? I'm good, but I might have a few self-help business tapes that might help with your expansion. Paolo Chihuahua remained in the Alabastashire prison, where he was forced to spend hours upon hours picking up dog shit. Unfortunately, there was a no-baggy policy, so he had to do it with his bare hands. That's what you get for being a murderous bellend. Still, his brother visited him regularly, so it wasn't too bad. Apparently, he was very sorry for what he'd done, had been working on his anger issues, and wanted to make peace of all he'd hurt. Cran and his band found a new music venue. It was actually inside Alabastashire. Nathan had pointed them to the dog and worm, and now they had regular gig nights. In fact, the last time Nathan had seen them, they were moving to a bigger venue because the dogs in there couldn't get enough. They were selling out every night of the week, exploding their metal to an adoring fan base who enjoyed it just as much as Winnie, all of them running in immense circles whenever they played. We finally found our audience, you prick, 
Tran told Nathan. Nathan and Winnie visited Alabastershire as often as they could. They went to Kevin's funeral. It was his time. Back outside, Nathan lived with Winnie and unfortunately time continued to roll along as it always does. Winnie got old quick. So did Nathan. With the cash from Winnie's butt, he started a few businesses. Most of them failed, but a couple stuck. A small flyer printing business and a cleaning company. He fell in love again. And this woman didn't leave him and didn't leave a stain on the stairs. And didn't die. They had a kid who they named Pup. Then they got a puppy who they named Kid. Nathan's parents died. A month from one another. They were buried by the dogs. I mean, they were buried next to the dogs by Shepherd and the rest. Also, they were buried by the dogs. After all, dogs are excellent diggers. Years later, whilst Kid and Pup played in the garden by the doghouse, Nathan and Winnie watched from his old bedroom window. They're messy, aren't they? He said. These things we have. Of course. It's more fun that way, though. Nathan sat by the bed. Both of them were now patched with grey hairs. Winnie's breathing hitched. Mrs. Alabaster peered inside. How's she doing? She said. I'm tired. She says she's tired. I am too. Want me to get you anything? Coffee? Beer? Nathan shook his head. Winnie's breathing hitched again. It was becoming increasingly erratic. Nathan placed his hand on her side. He closed his eyes. It got dark, all the way dark. In the nothing, the void, he anchored himself to her. For a while it was him and her and Duke. And they played fetch, they danced, they rolled around. They went for walkies, long and slow walkies, through the never-ending nothing. At some point, Winnie wandered off to the shadows, and then it was only him and Duke. Winnie? Nathan said, reaching for her with his pineal gland. Win? He kept calling for her. She didn't answer. The dogs of Alabastershire emigrated out of Winnie's dead butt and moved out of Nathan's house and into the world beyond. It took a while. After they were sure she was empty, Nathan dug a grave in the garden and placed a rock with her name on top. Winnie, my best friend, my home. For years afterwards, Nathan would stand by that rock and talk to her, tell her she had been his saviour, his catalyst, his reason. He'd think about her wagging tail, her almond eyes, her fluttering eyelashes, her mischievous growl, the way she'd brush up against him when he was sad or stressed. The way she'd wake him up in the mornings with a nose lick. The way she'd howl at the moon, bark at passing cars, do impressions of cats. The time she'd try to teach Nathan to speak Japanese, then Spanish. The time she swallowed a flashcard, her distrust of vets. The time she got stung by a bee, had an allergic reaction to a nut. Her face ballooned up. The time she got into a horse paddock, fell off the bed, slept on the stairs, chewed a PlayStation controller, stayed by his side, checked in, always, the spots, the shade, the dog hairs, the wet nose, the licks, the licks, the never-ending licks, the love, and the time she stopped breathing. And sometimes Nathan would feel it, only faintly, and possibly only in his imagination. 
a familiar tickle somewhere in the back of his brain. You've been listening to My Dog Shits Cash, written and narrated by me, Luke Condor, with music by myself as Duke Rondo, Chris Zabriskie, Ben Duncan, and End Arch Rival. Sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. For more of my work, head over to lukecondor.com, that's Condor with a K. Uh, be sure to leave a review, tell your friends, and look after your mind and your pets. Until next time.